Hello and welcome to Amplify. On this week's episode... I want to take opera somewhere where it's never been before in Ireland. I want to move opera. Whether I use the word forward or not is another... Maybe that's a delicate word to use. I want to move it sideways anyway, or upside down, or inside out, or back to front. Roger Doyle on his new opera, Eye Girl, and... A lot of my work in the past has been about exploring instruments and the sounds that they can make and then layering these sounds together in order to to come up with these thick textures of sound so i think it's more about like exploration and i use the material to take me somewhere or to get me to a certain place judith ring on her work and the challenges of working creatively during lockdown you're listening to music by roger doyle as always, I'm joined by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. How are you today, Yvonne? I'm well, Jonathan. Thank you. So since our last episode, we've had two more events in our online salon series. Tell us about these events so far. Yes, so uh, we're uh, to episode two and episode three into our new salon series where we've uh, brought the series back again in an online version, Jonathan. And uh, last week, Andrea and Adrian from the Contempo Quartet uh, brought us very much a celebration of recent string repertoire from 2016 with works for viola and cello from Jen Kirby, Deirdre McKay and Jane O'Leary. And uh, as you would imagine, interesting discussions on on those works, both from the composers and from the performers, we heard uh, a work for solo viola and uh, sustained pedal of the piano. And that was from Deirdre McKay and then uh, a work for solo cello and visuals from Jen Kirby and Jane O'Leary's duet uh, for viola and cello and uh, great program last week. And then last night we heard, a, a, I suppose you could say a haunting solo vocal program from singer Michelle O'Rourke with works from composers Anna Murray, who joined us from Japan for the discussion, and Andrew Hamilton, who linked in from uh, Birmingham, and Garrett Schuldice, based in Dublin. And uh, a very unique salon, three works for solo voice, uh, though Anna Murray's uh, also had electronics. And um, yes, a very interesting discussion exploring the, I suppose, challenges uh, for composers in writing just that single line of music and keeping the musical interest. Indeed. And these salons are available to listen to on our website uh, still after their initial broadcast. So you can go to cmc.ie forward slash salon where you'll find links to all episodes so far. And of course, you can listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Just search for CMC Ireland on any of those platforms. So we have a short clip of music and highlights prepared by Keith from the last two salons just to whet your appetite. So let's hear that now. It is quite a theatrical piece. In fact, there's more instructions, too strong a word, but instruction than, than there are pitches, I think, in there, that it's, it's very much about gesture uh, and performance. 
I think the nice thing about it is that there can be so many in- interpretations. That's certainly what I like about it, that it feels like there's very equal parts to this. I was like thinking when people, they, they, they stay in their homes for a long time, you know, it's like the air becomes impregnated with their presence. It becomes kind of very heavy when you stay in, in one place. Can, this piece can embark different journeys and the different endings. It's like starting the film and you have the option every uh, sequence to change the pattern, to, to take a different turn. It's like somebody has kind of opened a door and keeps showing you more and more of the universe that you didn't know was there, you know, everything. There was just no end to this expanding universe. I think it's more difficult playing this sort of piece than a piece which is much more explosive. Well, you, you cannot hide anywhere. Mm. You need to be very still and very calm. You have to control your emotions. And uh, technically speaking, you need a very good control of the bow, of the intonation. Everything is shown. I had the also the idea that I was writing for a married couple. And I wanted them to play as if one, which has all these implications and it's, it's quite nice to think about when you're writing a piece. Anna urged me to really find how I could interpret how she has made these marks on the page and how I can find expressions for those in my voice in terms of shaping a melodic line but not only shaping the melody and giving the text but finding vocal colour and depth and emotional space for those to really thrive and for a composer to give you that space is great. Light in the open The poem itself is extracts of various texts that use the word light uh, or refer to light. So it's uh, what drew me to it initially was actually the look of the poem. It was the visual aspect of the poem. So it was that visual aspect of different types of text in different places and how uh, science text interacted with poetic text or uh, uh, imagistic text um, that really drew me to it in the first place. The whole piece for me, I sort of wrote it to myself. It's a way of like lecturing myself to prepare myself for the reality of life. <laughs> to to try and uh, use life more wisely. So I, I, in a way, the piece is very personal to me. It's like telling myself to wake up a bit, which that's definitely a work in progress. <laughs> I have heard what the talkers were talking, the talk of the beginning and the end, but I do not talk of the beginning and the end. This is, I think, Whitman saying, well, I've, I've heard all this talk of division, of, of, um, of concrete division into beginning and end, but everything is a continuum. There is no beginning and there is no end.
student life, Savoir light, the light of student life, Savoir Music by Anna Murray, her lit, performed by Michelle O'Rourke, ending that extract from our Salon series. And on to our first guest, Judith Ring. And I spoke to Judith earlier in the week. And one of the main things she spoke to me about, Yvonne, was the difficulty in being creative during the lockdown period. And this is something that has affected a lot of artists and composers. Yeah, you know, this came through in the initial survey, Jonathan, as you know, that um, CMC issued the the week that COVID-19 hit the country. And it's also come up over the last six weeks or so, um, as we've been linking up regularly with our community of composers and performers through the CMC coffee catch ups. Many have spoken of how challenging it's been for them as creative artists to focus on any development of any new work during this time. I mean, it's been such a worrying time for the artistic community. You know, very true realities of financial struggles at the moment. And then the the practical situation, if you are a a composer who I suppose works very closely and very collaboratively with performers, you know, there's this kind of practical realisation that you're you're not sure of when or if that work will be performed. And, you know, venues are, are only starting to open up again with all the social distancing restrictions. But I do get the sense as well, especially in the recent coffee catch up that we had last Last week that composers and performers are certainly beginning to explore innovative ways to collaborate with each other again and to plan for online dissemination because you know this is a long-term situation that we're in now so online dissemination broadcast dissemination and they're they're planning you know upskilling themselves equipping themselves with the necessary tools and technology for the months ahead and you know I'm glad to see that in the new funding from government in thanks really to the National Campaign for the Arts 13 point plan that there is certain mentions of an increase for commissioning and bursaries and provision of CPD and offering supports to artists to explore digital platforms. So that's all in the plan. And um, but, you know, as we as we all know that the devil is in the detail and in the delivery. So it's really about, I suppose, watching this space and continuing to to support and link with the National Campaign for the Art and and their work to ensure that this uh, 20 million is spent in the right way to support artists. Absolutely. On that, let's just have a listen to this conversation with Judith Ring now. Judith, we're recording this at a time when we're all collectively emerging from lockdown and things are beginning to slowly approach returning to some sense of normality. How have you found the last three months from a creative point of view? Well, it hasn't been terribly easy, I guess, for me uh, as a creative person. Uh, I immediately kind of, I guess, got caught up with the whole impending doom side of things and uh yeah I really didn't have the headspace or the kind of desire to to start writing music during all this so for me it was very difficult to just wrap my head around everything 
And it still is to some extent. I'm still finding it very difficult to kind of knuckle down and, you know, focus. I'm not alone in this, for sure. I think it seems to be a common thread throughout a lot of my colleagues and friends. In order to create, you have to have some sort of a, a free head. It's almost a meditative kind of state of mind that you would be in in order to create and if you can't get into that state of mind it's a really very difficult thing to focus on when you're faced with that sort of creative slump how do you overcome this or do you actively try to overcome it I think it's definitely important to try like every few days or so I will sit down and take notes or start to to try and work on something it's really hard to kind of get the peace and quiet that you need as well, you know, because nobody can go anywhere. To get out of this slump, I think for me, I've tried to focus on other things. You know, I've tried to focus on cello playing. I've been learning the cello for the last six or seven years, probably looking back on it. One of the good things that's come out of this lockdown is that I've got my cello teacher back. So I used to live in Dunleary and I was able to go to Martin Johnson in Bray. Uh, and Martin's a good friend of mine and obviously the leader of the cello section of the National Symphony Orchestra and the first week of lockdown we got to chatting by email because I've been working with him on some pieces as well he agreed to kind of start teaching me again so I've been having lessons from him which has been just a lifesaver really so the cello is really the the thing that's getting me through these these days also was reminded when I was looking over your your albums and the artwork for those albums that you you paint as well I do yeah I do I absolutely love painting I've always combined music and art all my life so it's it's always been a toss-up between the two for me in terms of what Mm. to focus on music one one you know in terms of academia and my academic uh, direction uh, in general and in my creative direction but I do love I still love art a lot right now I would love to be painting all the time but I don't have the space unfortunately here have you ever worked on anything that sort of combined those two parts of of you or do you or is that something that you you'd be interested in doing in the future definitely yeah I've, I've flirted with the idea a number of times like I have these grand concepts of like live painting on stage and my music reflects what I paint and vice versa. It's just, it's a very abstract kind of format I work with. I would say that my music is like blending colours together and that's what my art is as well. it's not so much as thinking of color it's exploring colors more Mm. so i mean a lot of my work in the past has been about exploring instruments and the sounds that they can make and then layering these 
sounds together in order to to come up with these thick textures of sound. So I think it's more about like exploration and I use the material to take me somewhere or to get me to a certain place. Going back to when I first heard your music, which is a long time ago, but it was the tape piece that you had done for for the Luigi Russolo, that particular piece, which was uh, an electronic tape piece. Was that your kind of initial focus as a young composer? And has that now shifted more towards working with, with instruments, as you were just describing? That piece, Accumulation, it's still one of my favourite pieces. I, at the time, I, I felt it was going to be a one-hit wonder, and thankfully it wasn't. So I wrote it as a part of my master's in music and media technologies in Trinity and entered it for that competition. And luckily, I won it because it really opened up a, a lot of doors for me back then. was involving pulling apart machinery mainly in terms of its timbral content and for years I, I only worked with electronics I guess I didn't know how or didn't feel confident about working with real instruments back then so I started off very much in the in the electronic kind of music concrete world but then transferred that over eventually to doing that similar process on instruments so pulling apart the instrumental sound and seeing how far I could push whatever instrument I was working with at the time. I've always been fascinated with sound, so it really opened my ears to so much more. And so it was like really deep listening, as Pauline Oliveros would say. Uh, I just started really like hearing everything around me. There's all this other sound on instruments that you can pull out other than melodic pitched material, which is what I had grown up learning. Suddenly there is all this sound in between that I could work with. And I guess working with other sounds other than instrumental sounds taught me that there was so much more to instrumental sounds as well. The Music and Media Technologies course in Trinity that has, I think, springboarded an awful lot of people in this country has given us the tools to to really work with technology in interesting ways. And I don't think I would have composed at all if it wasn't for that. I don't know what I'd be doing now. So. <laughs>
comes to composing a new piece, where does composing begin for you? Is it a, a sound you're trying to recreate or an atmosphere or, or a response to something? You just hit the nail on the head there for, for the way I work. Anyway, I do try and recreate a sound or a, an atmosphere that I have in my head. I try to envisage the whole piece before I even get started on like the, the detail, if you know what I mean. So I, yeah. I tend to write down in words what I want the piece to be. And that gets more and more detailed as the months go on. So it takes me an awful long time to write a piece of music. I have these notebooks. I have this like giant notebook that I tend to use. Like every so often I will like sit down and write what I want the piece to be. And uh, when I look back on my notes, it's it's interesting to discover that it, the idea, the initial core idea was always, always there from the very, very start. And then it just gets expanded upon. Even if I don't read back on my notes, something is there already that needs to be created but yeah I write down in prose form what I want the piece to be so it goes from macro to micro way of dealing with a piece this is something I tell my students to do and something that was told to me a long time ago to to get a a roll of wallpaper and uh, stick it up on your wall as as wide as possible and then start use it as a timeline Uh, because it's very hard to envisage a piece going from page to page, like in, in, in score format, or even on a computer screen. So I like to kind of have the whole timeline in front of me and to, to map out what's going to happen. Sometimes it could be a shape of an idea, like literally a, a shape, you know, a drawing. Like maybe it goes back to the art end of things again. I draw a shape of what I want the piece to do in terms of dynamics and density and all that kind of stuff over time. It's all about time. It's all about the timeline for me. I think, you know, even if it's just a rough timeline, it's like I need to know what's happening in terms of atmosphere and sparseness and denseness and over time. Uh, and that helps me enormously or where, you know, I plan out where the, the kind of climaxes are going to be and stuff like that. I don't always stick to it. That's the way the, the initial setup of my work goes. And have you ever found that when you have a, an initial idea and you write it down in prose form and after a period of time, that idea then shifts or becomes a ghost of itself or the piece becomes a ghost of the idea, you know, to, taking that, that, that <laughs> now classic by, you know, Roger Doyle, that, the, you know, the piece with the, the, with where he gets a Kevin O'Connell talking about this, you know, search this idea and that the yeah. idea is yeah, a shadow of itself. The idea in yeah. a shadow, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that idea. <laughs> it's it's kind of incredible. Like it's definitely a lot of it often gets thrown in the bin as as time goes goes on. You know, the piece will end up somewhere I really didn't intend it to. But in general, I do stick to the the overall scheme of of what I planned out, and I don't even understand how that would work. How anyone can like start a piece at the beginning, you know, start writing the material at the beginning of a piece, and then continue to write without knowing exactly where it's going to go. Often I have a, a story in my head or a kind of a narrative that helps a lot with, with planning out the, the trajectory of a piece. I'm writing uh, the orchestral piece at the moment. It's a quite an apocalyptic scenario that I proposed for this piece. I'm developing a narrative for that as to what happens or what visually what I'm trying to represent 
to take another piece of mind, the swelth belly at dawn is like a visual representation of a sunrise. It's a very simple concept. To me, having that visual in my head and knowing what my narrative story for it is enough to kind of drive the piece out of my head. I wanted to ask you about your own work as a, as a performer of your own music. I mean, you, you released a, an EP a few years back, The Ringleader, uh, which is a great title. <laughs> <laughs> You're also a member of the vocal tri- trio Silver Kites. From looking at your, you know, your current SoundCloud page, you know, you perform regularly your own solo sets, you know, using voice electronics. How does this shape or influence your 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 music and especially when it comes to writing for others? As a composer or a writer of any uh, music, it's important to be a performer as well. I think mm. to get the full kind of rounded experience of, of what, what it's all about from beginning to end. It lends a lot to, to understanding how music can be effective, I think, to an audience, for example. A lot of the improv I've done uh, which is what I do on my own as a solo artist. I use a, my voice and a loop pedal. Like I, I just sing off the top of my head. So that's kind of a, a challenging space to be in in order to create color and sound as I go. You know, it's just, it's completely off the top of my head, harmonizing with myself and just kind of coming up with different sounds that, that work together uh, as the material uh, comes out, so to speak. And I found that very challenging and a very interesting way to to develop my skills as an improviser more than anything else. And I find improvisation uh, an incredibly valuable source. And I think it's fed into all the music I've written so far, actually, uh, in terms of collaborating with the musicians I've collaborated with on uh, my pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, improvisation has always been a part of that because I always get them to try out different experimenting with their instruments basically in different ways uh, in order to come up with new sounds the biggest thing I learned from performing is how that can spark new material and teach you about new colors and sounds that, that can be produced what you were saying earlier about how you work with a piece of composed music and and you go from a macro scale down when you're improvising do you have like a bigger sort of form at the back of your mind or is it more the kind of intuitive type of music making that you're you're you know you're improvising in the moment and you're you're seeing where that actually leads you yeah that's really interesting actually I hadn't thought about that uh yeah I think 
I work the opposite way. So I don't work from, you know, a macro level. I, I definitely just improvise on the fly without thinking about it beforehand. And I have also done some improvisation on the cello as well. And I think that it's such a freeing way to for someone who can't play an instrument properly <laughs> to uh, really kind of explore the sound world of an instrument. You can do that by improvising. You know, you can really kind of try stuff out and without having the pressure to play exact pitches or whatever it's a totally different way of working and a totally different mindset that you have to be in if you're if you're performing like that so it's an interesting contrast to the typical work I do composing music finally as we get used to this emerging new normal of living with COVID-19 um, and all the various kind of restrictions, I mean, how do you feel about the future for music in Ireland yourself? And, you know, I suppose, what are some of your own projects that you hope to be able to do in the coming months when we still obviously have to live in some way with, with with this, to use that awful expression, a second time, this new normal. Nobody really knows how it's going to work. Certainly so far, things have been pushed a lot, you know, been postponed and things pushed into next year, which I hope will go ahead. But I think it's going to be really difficult. I think music in general and live music in particular, it's definitely going to take a hit. You know, it's going to be difficult to open places up unless, you know, it magically disappears completely. I think there's going to be a, a very difficult time ahead for live music. In terms of what I'm writing at the moment, I'm, I, at the moment I'm writing two pieces that may be very difficult to pull off. Uh, one of them is a choral piece for a large, large choir. Mm. And I don't know when that particular scenario is going to happen again. But I think choirs are, are have been hit very badly. Yeah. It, does that make writing that piece harder when you think at the back of your mind... I don't know when this is going to be performed. And and also does that affect the actual piece itself in terms of what you're what you're trying to do or what goes into it? In terms of time, yeah, definitely I'm I'm very much a deadline person, so uh, I I write to a deadline and if I don't have a deadline, it's very difficult to to really kind of focus and knuckle down to it. Uh, I can do it, but like it's that definitely a deadline is important. I don't think it would affect the piece in any way. It will just prolong things. And I guess any emotions that you're feeling and any anything you're going through is going to feed into your music. So in that respect, I guess that would be one effect that might happen. Yeah, it's just things are being delayed, you know, and uh, who knows when they'll start up normally again if ever I think it's definitely very interesting what is happening you know all the online stuff has been an incredible creative unveiling it's giving artists a challenge to be creative in a very different way and to reimagine what is possible in a different type of future scenario so in some ways there's an excitement around that end of things you know that there is this new platform that has emerged and is a potential thing that can continue and it brings people from all over the world what's really exciting is that you can watch a concert from germany 
here in your living room, you know, that, that you wouldn't typically have had the opportunity to go to a concert from anywhere in the world. I think that's a very positive thing. There's always positives that come out of all of these situations. <laughs> Judith, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll see one another at a concert indoors soon, whenever it's safe to do so. Thanks so much, Jonathan. It's been great talking to you. Swelt Belly at Dawn by Judith Ring, performed by Concord and ending that conversation with the composer. Next, Roger Doyle. And there's a nice connection between Judith Ring and Roger in that Roger was one of Judith's teachers in the MMT course in Trinity College, Dublin, Yvonne. And she spoke about this course as being very important for her and a lot of composers of her generation. Very true, Jonathan. Uh, I think that Judith was in the third year of the course and, you know, subsequently it's really become, I think you could say, a kind of a breeding ground for lots of composers from Ireland. And, you know, I think Donica Dennehy would have to be credited for being that nurturer of compositional talent and the support and the infrastructure of that course, uh, the MPhil in Music and Media Technology, Dermot Furlong there as well, who uh, set up the course uh, along with Simon Trezise from the music department. So right from the outset, that course was all about, um, you know, encouraging diversity and this wonderful mix of musical creativity and using technology to really do innovative musical and creative things. Yeah, and while Judith spoke about the challenges of composing during lockdown, Roger, on the other hand, continued to work during this period, completing his second electronic opera, iGirl. And as you'll hear, while the opera was conceived long before the pandemic, the nature of the work is well suited to the current situation with all the restrictions that we're currently experiencing on performance. Yeah, and Roger, you know, that doesn't surprise me that he kept working during the pandemic. He has this kind of compositional practice where it's very much rooted in his studio at home. I think it's it's wonderful that we have this event to look forward to on the 4th of July, which is part of the Clonmel Junction Arts Festival, where there's a symposium where Roger will discuss this new opera. And they've also created this uh, new video, this kind of music video by, by Trish McAdam, who's a very well-known filmmaker. And she's made this video on one of the arias from this new electronic opera. So, I mean, again, this is this is really, you know, very much Roger Doyle, isn't it? Thinking about how he can adopt and adapt to a new situation. He's always embraced technology. And here he is, this uh, festival, the Clonmel Junction Arts Festival, has had to modify how they present their events. And we have this wonderful potential of a symposium about the opera and this premiere of, of a music video to one of the arias. So let's hear uh, Roger Doyle now talking about the opera I Girl and a lot more besides in relation to the current period and composing.
how has this experience during lockdown been for you from like a creative composing point of view? Well, luckily, I've been able to just keep composing, which I do all the time. And so I've just kept on doing that. I suppose the only real difference is I can't have singers in the studio, which is what I'm used to. So uh, the remote recording has been working great. I've been uh, discovering that uh, all the singers I'm working with, they all have their own uh, portable the make is called Zoom, not to be confused with the video Zoom. They all have their own Zoom recorders, which work fantastically, you know. And so they've been sending me their stuff and I've been lining it up and slotting it into the tracks just like before. So there's been no impediment uh, at all to my working practice. It's just continuous and I'm coming to the end of this uh, opera, which is uh, it's a studio-only opera. And uh, at the moment it's looking like two hours and 20 minutes for the complete experience. So some new singers I'm working with now who are sending me stuff, it requires a little bit more toing and froing. You know, I like being in the room. I think I'm a good communicator and I think I'm a good collaborator and I, I think I can draw things out of people by being invisible. I mean, you talk, the way I work is I talk through the material in advance and I press record, and at that, the moment I press record, I like to think that I then become invisible, that they do their thing, and sometimes they do extraordinary things, and I'm sitting here trying to be invisible while they do their thing, you know. Uh, I think that's uh, maybe one part of being a collaborator, is uh, to become invisible when they're doing their thing. take opera somewhere where it's never been before in Ireland. I want to move opera. Whether I use the word forward or not, another, maybe that's a delicate word to use. I want to move it sideways anyway, or upside down, or inside out, or back to front. And that's by using singers that are not traditionally associated with opera. That's the first thing, to, to choose the right singers. And that's a singer with very little or no vibrato, with a pure tone. And that can be a pop singer or a jazz singer, or early music singer, or a Shannon singer, and of course classically trained singers like Anuna, for instance, those type of singers, really beautiful voices. But that's one thing. And then to have no orchestra is the other thing. And uh, just to have playback through loudspeakers and uh, radio mic for live concerts, live performances. Uh, managed to do that a few years ago with my first opera, Heresy. Uh, this time I've had a script uh, from Marina Carr, who sent me this really, really beautiful, dark, amazing 52-page text. And it was her who said to me, if ever you want to, thinking of writing another opera, uh, give me a call. So that's how this came about. And we made an application to the Arts Council uh, because we'd done one before, and um, we were turned down. So it's at, it's at that point that I decided I'm going to do this anyway. Let's do it anyway. So impressed by her text. And I had uh, new software here 
But the downside is that it's um, studio only. It's singers and software instruments and electronic sounds. It's called iGirl, yeah. And there's a CD now I've just brought out called Scenes from iGirl, which is <clears throat> a showcase CD of bits and pieces from it. The whole process has been like a process of magic. It's been sort of, it just it just happened. Sometimes I don't even know how it happened. But two hours and 20 minutes of composing in one year, I, I've never done that. All my adult life, I did 35 minutes a year. And to do two hours, 20. And of course, you, the first thing you'd have to ask is, well, is it any good? <laughs> All that, there's so much of it, is it up to standard, you know? Uh, and uh, well, I'm, I, I lie awake at night. At least I'm thrilled by it, you know, by her text, by the amazing singers, by the software, and and you've got to say, uh, by some of the things, uh, some of the things I come up with, I almost feel as though, how did that happen? This concept of producing an electronic opera, the second electronic opera, as you as you say, did you always conceive for it to be a truly, you know, studio-based, non-performance-based uh, work? Because it strikes me very much, if I can put it this way, good timing, given the situation that we're in. In fact, it, it chimes very well, like, you know, with the actual times. No public performance, so... What are creative artists, composers going to do? They're going to produce something that is experienced in a non-performative space. Yeah, my, my original plan and part of the application that we didn't get was to involve the Crash Ensemble integrated into the digital soundtrack, live ensemble, live singers and the live continuous playback system. So that didn't happen. Parts of it are going to work really great in the future. Parts of it are going to be absolutely fantastically done extracts can be done with uh, lighting and costumes and makeup uh, uh, without the full set and uh, without the expense of putting on an opera like for instance the Clonmel festival asked me to be involved this year in a big way and, and we were going to do 20 minute extract from it live with the playback system so there's loads of possibilities in the future for a 20 minute or a half an hour or a 40 minute extract from it. Uh, but we, instead for Clown Mail this year, we're filming, we're doing an experimental film made by Trish McAdam of eight minutes from it. She's doing that right now. We're going to have it ready in time for the Clown Mail Festival. So there's possibilities in the future, you know. There's an eight minute wonderful extract sung by Morgan Crowley, who sings the Oedipus extract from this. I'm just saying there's great potential there. You, instead of a live opera, maybe it could be a filmed opera. If there's funding there, you know, in the future, maybe it could be a, a, an abstract two-hour film, all song. What you hear is the singing, what you see is some sort of amazing film uh, with animation and uh, multi-layered stuff going on.
It's interesting that you present it in that sort of way, or you conceive it in that sort of way as a kind of a modular piece of work. Modular word, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, modular. What's driving that? We all know it's not the easiest thing to put on an opera without huge financial support and backing. And I guess in the absence of that you have to kind of think creatively about how you get a project realized if that's what you want to do as a composer. I mean, is that is that the motivation or are you trying to subvert in a little way conventions and the traditions around uh, an art form such as opera? Well, su- subvert maybe not the, the right word. I, I just want to take it to a place it's never been to before. Partly it's it's how the uh, libretto by Marina Carr has turned out. There isn't a true plot. There isn't a true story. It's a series of tableau, if you like, series of scenarios. But apart from that, I'm going with the flow of her of her texts. The difficult and time-consuming part is setting the text. You have the music. You have the melody. Now it's time to set the text, you know. That's very time-consuming. There's 52 pages of text to set uh, to the music. And uh, uh, unbelievable coincidences that I would reach just the end of her, of that particular speech or aria just as I got to the end of the music, you know. I'm gasping here sometimes thinking, God, how did that just fit in? You know? So that sort of thing is happening all the time. Tell me about this libretto and tell me just a, a kind of a synopsis, what it's about, what's it based on or what it, what does it deal with? It deals with female suffering and sacrifice and tragedy uh, and has appearances from mythological the Greek mythology. All the well-known characters from Greek mythology are in there. Uh, and then this historical character, Joan of Arc, is in there. And Oedipus, obviously, Jocasta, you know, Antigone, they're all there. And then there's a present day, there's a modern day narrator in there too, who's commenting uh, and who becomes actually, who becomes Marina Carr in several places. Marina's talking about herself also in this, or singing about herself. That's what it is. And uh, I suppose the task musically is to make that work, you know, over a two hour period. But it is broken up. And, um, Maybe someday some some opera producer might be able to look at the whole thing or or filmmaker and say, right, I know exactly how I'm going to link these things together visually. And so I'd love to see that happening.
you know, in terms of this kind of period that we're that we've gone through, and 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 you know, be mindful of the, of the fact that you have used technology and you've embraced technology in your music uh, long before anybody else even knew this technology kind of existed. How are you seeing or finding this phenomenon of? you know, online performances as a result of COVID. And I mean, do you think there is some sort of potential in this kind of approach or the use of of, of digital technologies for music performance post-pandemic? Uh, the, the technology doesn't seem to be quite there yet for a, a high-res experience that there's been a lot of homemade stuff, and, and which is great. But I, I hope when this is over, that that uh, the technology can can then make it the leap forward it needs to for virtual concerts or whatever, um, virtual performances, so that you really have a, a sense of three dimensions. Uh, all I can say is it, it asks the interesting question: of How do we do this? Suppose the concert halls don't come back. Suppose the theaters don't come back or don't come back the way they were. Um, and that's why the idea of, of uh, doing a film of this uh, really interests me. I mean, does the CD experience is one way of looking at it, audio only. Uh, then there's the, the online film, and, and that can be high res. You know, that can be uh, as detailed as, as you might wish. Joanne d'Arc by Roger Doyle from his opera Eye Girl. And you can listen to and purchase more of Roger's music from his Bandcamp page. We include links and details of this and all the music used in the show notes for this podcast. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening.